I am the stone that the builder refused. I am the visual, the inspiration that made ladies sing the blues. I'm the spark that makes your idea bright. The same spark that lights the dark so that you can know your love from your right. I am the ballad in your box, the bullet in the gun, the inner glow that lets you know to call your brother son. The story that just begun, the promise of what's to come. And I'm going to remain a soldier till the war is won. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a brand new episode of Genre Equalities Behold Podcast. I'm Hitzer. I'm Isa. Uh, this week, we're talking about three brand new topics. Uh, our main topic is, man, a really radical um, satire of African-American culture uh, that began as a comic strip and then was adapted into a quite beloved uh, television, uh, adult, uh, adult swim cartoon. It's called The Boondocks by Aaron Magruder, one of my favorite cartoons of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, we'll be discussing Netflix's uh, Unbelievable, uh, one of the best miniseries from last year, uh, starring Caitlin Dever, uh, Tony Collette, uh, and Merit Weaver, a uh, very uh, sensitive and humane uh, sexual assault drama, which, uh, unlike a lot of other kind of uh, rape narratives, uh, focus inst- on, on, on the victims yeah. rather than the uh, focus on the detectives or on the perpetrator. Uh, which is a uh, very fresh, very unusual, and, and the kind of narrative uh, that we need like, in, in modern times. Finally, we'll be talking about um, a really unique uh, anime about uh, commerce and about <laughs> economics, uh, a very uh, dense uh, anime about uh, such things uh, set in a medieval fantasy world of you know um, spirits and, and, and creatures such as that. But Really, it focuses on money, uh, which is very interesting. Uh, me not being an economics major or not knowing a lot <laughs> about economic theory, I have, I have a lot that I've learned uh, via the show and via the Wikipedia, Wikipedia ing. I've been doing, you know, while watching the show. So I, I would like to share that with uh, with Isa as well. After this, Sweet, so. that's cool. Yeah, I, I mean, Isa is the one who recommended it to me, so um, very interesting, one of the more interesting uh, enemies I've, I've ever seen. Yeah, I just wanted to recommend something kind of out of out of the, um, the usual kind of anime stuff that we get, right? Like, anime as a medium in general has always been, has always leaned towards, like, experimental and very philosophical, you know, um, um, things, right? Like, challenging things in that manner. So when you get something like Spice and Wolf, right, that takes something mm-hmm. that is... To most people, incredibly like boring or like not just uninteresting in that manner. To and to phrase it through that medium to tell yeah. its own story, right? I I always think it's good to recommend. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, excited to talk about that. As I am with uh, our main topic this week, the Boondocks. Uh, was in my opinion one of the most uh blunt and uh, straightforward critiques of American culture, um, and specifically African American culture featured on television. Um, The show was an animated adaptation of Aaron Magruder's uh, long-running comic strip, which featured in several uh, newspapers, syndicated in newspapers uh, throughout America and all around the world. Uh, It followed uh, two young boys named Huey and Riley Freeman, uh, two Chicago kids Mm -hmm. growing up with their grandfather in the predominantly white and affluent neighborhood of Woodcrest. Um, It is uh, an incredible show, uh, very provocative, uh, steeped in controversy, uh, and uh, very divisive, I would say, amongst the mainstream or casual audiences, uh, just because, you know, it pulls no punches, uh, and it is uh, very, it's so provocative in the way that South Park is provocative, uh, but in a, in a very different 
context, you know. Um, yeah. uh, what, what do you think about the, the boondock size? Uh? Um, I, I, I only recently revisited it, right? Just because we're going to do this episode. And uh, yeah. like re-watching some of the stuff. Because I, I feel like it was a lot more difficult back then to get a hold of uh, Adult Swim stuff, right? Uh, or at mm. least where, where, how old we were at the time and, and where we were, where we are. Yeah. Yeah, um. Yeah. So, uh, being able to revisit the majority of the franchise, uh, mm-hmm. coming back to that, I realized that I only had watched a lot of it, uh, in bits and pieces, uh, and um, a lot of them tended to be the more popular episodes that eventually became their own kind of memes and stuff like that. As far as gaming yeah. existed back then, mm-hmm. uh, so I really enjoyed the fact that I got to kind of see uh the overall arcs, right, that they were trying to that that uh, the characters get across all the episodes because by by and large um right with the exception of certain episodes that are you know reflexive and 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 um have inside jokes and all of that like it is rather standalone mm-hmm. um as far as it's possible uh i remember it being i mean it's extremely funny and extremely kind of poignant in the way that they talk about, you know, uh, black culture and black stereotypes yeah. and all of that. Sometimes to a ridiculous degree, uh, mm-hmm. it is sharp, right? The wit is incredibly sharp. The observations are incredibly sharp. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's told in, to us in a way that, like, it doesn't take itself too seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're completely right to say that it's, like, not close to what we would get out of South Park, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, or... Um, or anything of that ilk. Uh, just on the whole, I really, really enjoyed um, just like watching through everything again. Uh, and I think the context of watching it today, right, is, is feels vastly different. I think mm-hmm. there are a couple of episodes, I think, which we'll dive into a bit later that uh, have more potent messages today, mm-hmm. I feel, than it might have uh, at the time. Right, like it, it sort of was. Uh, some of the episodes, like the Martin Luther King one, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I I felt like it was kind of a hit of his time. Um, perhaps you know, mm-hmm. uh, in, in in the wake of everything that's happened this year, yeah, as well, and like it, it is a testament to just how good the writing is. I feel whenever we have a series that kind of makes this sort of. Uh, timeless statements right we, we, we get it sometimes with the simpsons we get it sometimes with regular morty and things like that and all things that we rave about but the boondocks is up there for sure yeah and and to, to our point south park as well and south park, like, in, in, in a very different way but yeah like both were like all these shows were kind of like polemic divisive mm-hmm. uh the, the especially timeless episodes that were criticized at the time for being too provocative or being too negative, or being too critical of certain aspects of uh, of American culture, yep. uh, have proven, uh, without a shadow of a doubt, to be true. Yeah, uh, and, and t- time time was on their side because mm-hmm. they were they were speaking truth, like, You know, like I think Aaron Magruder kind of really reveled in criticizing and intellectually destroying uh, politics, uh, race relations, public yep. figures, and popular culture, but particularly black popular culture at that time. Yeah. Um, it, it was brutally funny. Like it's, it, it just pulled no punches. Brutally funny. Yeah. Uh, and it's a caustic series that frequently um spoke 
truth to power and, and pointed out some of uh, black society's most toxic ills. Uh. Mm-hmm. And I would like to point out also the difference between the Boondocks you know, being a black show. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Huey and Riley are, are voiced by recent Emmy winner uh, Regina King, who just won for Watchmen. Yeah, uh, congrats. So, so good. <laughs> but yeah. uh, like other shows, like let's say um, Dear White People, for mm-hmm. example, right? Um, the the critique is on is on white people uh, and the and the, which is valid and fair, of yes. course, you know. Uh, but the Boondocks does something different in that it is critique is inwards. You know, how uh-huh. can how can black identity and black culture be improved upon? What are what are the toxic nature? Or what's the toxicities of various black identities? You know, so it relies a lot on compelling caricatures of of uh, various black identities to create. Uh, a worthwhile dialogue about uh, t- taboo topics such as mm-hmm. cultural appropriation, uh, gentrification, and, and race relations, uh, as I mentioned, you know. Like yep. Huey, for example, who is like a disciple of um, the the Black Panthers, you know. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of the show's protagonist and the cynical voice of reason and the moral compass of, of the family trio, you know. Um, he's labeled a domestic terrorist for his militant brand of black nationalist pal- politics, you know. Mm-hmm. Adamant about wanting to better his people and his desire strive for something greater but at the same time Huey himself is the caricature of the overly politicized uh, black man who complains um, and is politically active in terms of words yep. but when it comes down to it Huey doesn't really do anything yep. uh, he, he is not constructive he's critical um, on, on the flip side you have Riley the impressionable eight-year-old gangster <laughs> wannabe who, who kind of represents the negative impact that certain stereotypes and imagery uh, can have on urban black youth like he I, idolizes the toxic masculinity and gender norms of uh, I guess the quote-unquote thug fuck life you know like his, his gangster rap uh, heroes uh, and and his obsession with mimicking what he sees on TV and in music leads him to blindly follow um, unsavory rappers like Thugnificent and Gangster Licious yeah. and uh, Ed Wonkler the third, you know, and, and all of these characters themselves uh, uh, are, are caricatures too. Yeah. Um, it's brilliant, you know, like uh, I think uh, Uncle Ruckus is probably the, the, the show's oh my God. most, uh, most firebrand depiction of uh, an Uncle Tom, shall we say, you know, a, yeah. a man who who uh, who is a white a black man who is a white supremacist who believes that the that Caucasians are of a higher stature of a higher class mm-hmm. uh, and frequently denigrates his own people he claims he has revitaligo which is the opposite of what Michael Jackson has Michael Jackson claims he has vitiligo which makes his skin fairer he has revitaligo so therefore he is a white man who is absolutely dark because you know it's reverse vitiligo um, <laughs> it's <laughs> Pretty hilarious, like, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. All of the characters are, are are really really funny, you know. Uh, what 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 stands out to you in terms of uh, the the caricatures presented in in uh, the Boondocks? Uh, I mean, like definitely. Uh, okay, so Huey and Riley are, are kind of like their own. The, the dynamic between Huey and Riley, right, and just how per- different their philosophies on life are and their personalities are. Uh, is is a joy to kind of watch. Um, it's often very easy to forget that they're just kids, uh, yep. kind of like making their way through a, a pretty fucked up world, right? Um, as far as the where the franchise is placed, uh, yeah, like it's. I think Uncle Ruckus sticks out the most to me, just because they've used that sort of like self hating black man, um, stereo not stereotype, but like um caricature to such great effect 
right? And uh, I also like I feel bad for laughing at everything he says, but he, it's so wildly inappropriate that it, I can't help yeah, but laugh. It is so. I mean, like I I think as when he first appears, right? Like I I think he first appears as a a security guard at the garden yeah. party, right? Uh, I I kind of forgot about him, you know, as, as a character, and like for him to say those things, I was just like, "What the hell? really? Are you serious?" Yeah. Like, and then it just gets more and more ridiculous to the point, and I think it culminates in the point where he basically starts his own church, right? He yeah. goes to White Heaven, <laughs> yeah. which is one of my favorite episodes because then like everything there makes sense, right? Like it makes so much sense in the context of him being. Uh, given sort of like you know this 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 uh mandate from a white savior, mm-hmm. uh, from white Jesus, <laughs> and um, it is the fact that they can use that to such great effect at sometimes and make you just extremely uncomfortable in the most mundane of situations at other times, just yep. as like such a well used character, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, as opposed to oh, I forgot, like what's what's the um. What's the guy who owns basically everything? Your white corporate. Right, right, right. Yeah, ba- basically like you know Trump before Trump. Like, yeah, so Wanzler, right? Like Mr. Wanzler, and yeah. and you know um, the lemonade, the whole lemonade episode as well. With Jasmine, yeah. With Jasmine, like perfect yeah. use of yeah. caricature there, right? Or yeah. even uh, the itis episode, for mm-hmm. example, like great, but like that didn't see as good a use as Uncle Ruckus. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, um, they saw that character to its logical conclusion and then some, but always hit home the point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's I think that's tough to do, right? Uh, I, I, I mean, if you want to make a comparison, it's kind of like South Park, right? Any sort of, of the characters there never hit that kind of, 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 of tone, right? Like they never hit that kind of note, um, throughout all the years that they've done that. Sure, they serve a purpose and they, and they, they try and make a point. Uh, a meta point, so to say, but like nothing quite as effective, I feel, <laughs> as Uncle Rucker's character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Um, uh, what, what, what do you think about their criticisms of? Uh, I, I don't know whether you've ever gotten to that part, like, like the, the Obama administration era of of uh, of the boondocks where they criticized Obama because, you know, um, basically there was this feeling of hope among the black community yeah. with Obama being elected in. Uh, the boondocks uh, dedicated several episodes to. Just Obama's failure la, of 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 living up to that hope of living up to to what they wanted him to be. Mm-hmm. I I I feel like it. Those were definitely. I mean, we can say this in hindsight now, right? Yeah. For sure. Uh, I they were they were definitely. I mean, it was pretty on the dot, right? Like you you can't take away from the fact they have very valid points about about his failures and things like that. But at the same time, I I I keep thinking back, uh, when I was watching the Obama episodes to to the Martin Luther King episode, right? Mm, yes. Uh, and, and comparing those two and, and just like how the the culture in itself and the expectations of the people are, are, are continually evolving and changing based on a variety of stuff going mm-hmm. on. And, and maybe we should just fill in people a bit about what the Martin Luther King Jr. episode is about. Yeah, go, go ahead, go ahead. Um, so, e- essentially, Martin Luther King Jr., instead of dying after... Uh, the assassination attempt on his life goes into a coma, and he wakes up in mm. the time that uh, um, that the book does take place, right? In the mid two thousands. Yeah. yeah, in the mid two thousands, and he finds himself as a man out of time, quite literally, uh, mm. as a man who has no idea, um, uh, you know, what the world looks like right now, and uh, despite of all the all all the good things, right, that he has managed to accomplish with his life, 
before his coma or before his death in in IRL, mm-hmm. um, like he finds himself very very out of place, not just in uh, the world, but as specifically in the black world, right? Like mm-hmm. um, the culture has changed a great deal, um, the belief system <laughs> has changed a great deal, and while his name for the longest time has been heralded on many people's lips as just kind of like a paragon or a paradigm to live up to, um, he finds himself discredited and, and, and kind of out of place, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I think it draws a very interesting parallel with the Obama episodes uh, whereby, again, right, you have someone who's held that, you know, you know coming of a new savior, you know, and, and, and like these grand expectations and all of that. Um, but at the end of the day, it really boils down to the fact that they are uh, human, right? And they are men and they have feelings in that particular manner. The expectations, while, mm. um, you know, hopeful and grand and all of that, right, are, are difficult to live up to. And, and ultimately, like, it is more than just the burden of one man to carry all of that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, one of the best episodes of the Moondogs was the Martin Luther King Jr. episode. And they have had a lot of, I guess, iconic slash meme movie episodes. Maybe if you don't watch the Boondocks, you would have noticed uh, certain memes that, uh, that popped up here and there whenever a Boondocks episode's, uh, episode, much like The Simpsons, proves to be prescient. Yep. Um, for example, I think the most famous Boondocks episode only happened in the season one, episode two. It was about the trial of R. Kelly. Oh, yeah. Um and uh it was just so brutally funny. It was it was so uh it it, it was a thing that this happened what almost twenty years ago, right? Like yep. in the mid two thousand fifteen to eighteen mm-hmm. years ago, you know, and 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 Huey and Aaron Magruder uh, by extension was the only person who saw uh what what was happening with R. Kelly, like, you know. It, it's uh, the, you know, he, he, in two thousand two he he stood trial under the allegations uh, of pedophilia. He uh, had sex and urinated on an underage girl. Um, the the, uh, the animated uh, mock trial. Um, <laughs> at, at, at actually years before Kelly's actual trial on of child pornography charges. Yeah. Um, it discussed uh, everything from the sexual. Pro- proclivities of the ancient Greeks to what constitutes a mountain of evidence and, and culminated in a scorching confrontation between the parties involved. You know, yeah. um, Riley, uh, an R. Kelly superfan, uh, he, he kind of defends the accused, insisting that the girl was old enough to consciously get out of the way of the peace stream. Yeah. Um, Huey, on the other hand, believes that the artist should be held accountable for his actions and delivers this impassioned speech. You know, yep. every famous N-word that gets arrested is not Nelson Mandela. Uh, yes, the government conspires to put a lot of innocent black men in jail on fallacious charges, but yep. R. Kelly is not one of those men. Yep. Um, and that speech has been, you know, posted around, especially in more recent years when R. Kelly is finally being held accountable for these things. And yep. that, this, that's nearly two decades later. Yep. Uh, and and much like in real life, when R. Kelly's trial actually happened, you know, those in attendance ultimately fail to heed Huey's words. Mm-hmm. You know, Riley starts booing and the, and the onlookers go right back around to dancing around. You know, they, they, they play boom uh, boombox playing R. Kelly's hits, you know. Yeah. Um, the, the Pied Piper himself, R. Kelly, is released as an innocent man. Um, it, 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 it has uh, echoes of, um, of the O.J. Simpson trial and then, of course, of, of R. Kelly's trial as well. Uh, and, and it has stood the test of time because... Uh, only 18 to 20 years later does the black community fully understand that R. Kelly is not a good person like, and yeah. he should not be idolized. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I, I think like Huey's line about like like if you really care about about R. Kelly, right, you get him counseling. 
right, and rehabilitate him or something along that lines. I can't remember the exact line. Uh, but I mean, like in its time, when it came out, that would have been extremely powerful for someone to have heard that and paid attention to that. Nobody uh, did apparently, but, but nobody <laughs> did, and and we he finds himself where he is today, and we find ourselves in in just kind of like the circus that it, it's been, right? Mm, um, the, yeah, the prescience of the episode, incredible. Yeah, a- absolutely, absolutely, and I think like that's just one of the many, many kind of like moments in time, or even ep- like entire episodes, which really. Uh, spoke to the moment back then mm-hmm. and are just prescient in, in like unbelievable ways. Mm, definitely, yeah. you know. Um, one of our favourite moments is happens in season one and has kind of been replayed as a recurring <laughs> joke. It is the, the N-word moment, like, if, you, if you know what I'm talking about. It, it speaks, it, it's in, basically an episode breaking down why black men can lose rationality in certain instances. Yeah. Um, it's obviously played for laughs, but, the, you know, as with all good comedy there is that element of truth in it mm-hmm. uh, and that Aaron Magruder likes to poke at um, certain aspects of black culture and black society that he doesn't agree with yeah. and he feels that they could improve upon it is not demeaning black culture in fact every single character on uh, on the boondocks each presents a different aspect of, of black culture and each frequently gets, gets into arguments with one another right yeah and it, it, it's not didactic in a way that like let's say the west wing is like it doesn't say this point of view is wrong or that point of view it's wrong you know it's just allowing you to kind of see the faults for what they are and you make your own judgment you know mm-hmm. um one of his most um an episode that was actually banned from adult swim that wasn't allowed to air because the parent company viacom that yeah. owns uh cartoon network and adult swim also owns bet um <laughs> you know and and uh, boondocks frequently makes a fun of uh, BET's programming of black entertainment television um, about how it is detrimental uh, to the, the self-image and, and to the culture of black society, you know, with its uh, endless reality shows about gangster rappers and, and soap operas, you know, and, and things like that. Like it it, it kind of dramatizes and glorifies um, some of the worst aspects of black culture, mm-hmm. things that shouldn't be glorified or, or, or idolized. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just thinking about exhibit and the put my ride episode. <laughs> <laughs> that was really exhibit, by the way. He yeah, was yeah. yeah. It, it was ridiculously funny. I really enjoyed that episode. But like, in, in kind of lieu with that, right? The whole idea of uh, taking a shot at BET or even at rap culture. Yeah. Uh, with yeah, I mean, like, what great names, like, what great monikers they have, like Gangstalicious and and Tugnificent yeah. in particular. Uh, that episode is one of my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, just talking about like gentrification and and all of that and and um you and know, also how... like the the fake posturing of black rappers like mm, yeah exactly uh yeah. uh which ties into the snitching episode as well correct yeah yeah so yeah. Uh, I mean like just so many so many good looks right uh, mm-hmm. uh at at um so incisive that it, that it's really hard to kind of shake at how brilliant this series is and I don't think when I first watched the material like how I didn't realize how uh, how good it was. Like it was enjoyable. It was funny. It, it is still ridiculously funny, but like just how sharp it is, right? Like and that constantly kind of blows me away. Like in the midst of like holding my sides and laughing about some of the most ridiculous things that they could come up with, mm-hmm. um, there is so much truth in that, and and that in and of itself is so powerful. Oh yeah, I mean hundred percent, man. Like uh, any other things about uh, the the Boondocks uh, stick out to you? Um, okay, so definitely the the music's dope, 
right? Um, and there's like uh, interestingly enough, like the whole look and feel and even the music um is anime is, style. It's right? anime style, right? Like um yeah. uh Magruder is a big, big anime and manga fan, right? Like he talks mm-hmm. about Cowboy Bebop very fondly, he talks about how Samurai Trump 2 has kind of like um uh you know influence and style. Um the the opening sequence looks a lot like Samurai Champloo, right? And um, mm-hmm. the fight scenes are very anime-like as well. Um, apparently, I, I read up that uh, uh, Madhouse, like the anime studio Madhouse was supposed to help out, but the mm. deal fell true, right? Ah. Uh, and in the end, it went out with an with a equally kind of like prestigious uh, South Korean studio, uh, MOA Animation, who handled mm-hmm. the, the thing for that. Uh, what's interesting is just like um, I I think especially like uh, my brother popped in uh, while I was watching the show and he was just like oh uh, does that have anything to do with Afro Samurai right because Huey does have a samurai sword in a couple of the episodes uh, and he's just kind of swinging around I said like yeah it's it's all kind of like from the cut from the same cloth you know uh, and I mean like obviously I watch a ton of anime and for to have uh, that kind of tribute to that in, in the way and the form that it has taken in the boondocks is just like it makes me really happy <laughs> yes um, it, it, it also speaks a lot to uh, how a lot of black youths especially growing up in the, in the 80s 90s and yep. early 2000s were influenced by Asian culture mm. uh, kung fu movies Japanese anime uh, were big parts of of, uh, of I, I the kind of Weirdly enough, uh, the, the kind of black identity and, and what they, they, they drove to, you know, like mm-hmm. look at bands like Wu Tang Clan, or well, not bands, rap crew like Wu Tang Clan, <laughs> for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this is just a, a fantastic show with so many layers to it, but I mean, it's important to remember also that it's extremely funny. Yeah, uh, like it, it's you can be offended. I'm sure a lot of people out there watching this will be offended at one point or another throughout the show. Yeah. Because if you aren't right, then it, the show is not doing Big something job. right, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Correct, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But you know the the way it comments on like black culture from a critical black pers- perspective that that pinpoints the complexity of the black experience. You know, it's a politically charged um, punch and a sharp racial uh, awareness that that drives a dagger through the heart of the notion that black culture is monolithic it's not monolithic there's a lot of uh, variations and aspects to it like you know yeah and occasionally is interrupted by as you're saying like well choreographed and strikingly violent anime style uh, action sequences um, <laughs> um, a lot of cool hip-hop music uh, vulgar irreverent humor a liberal use of the n-word um, i think viewing it today uh, despite the fact that the boondocks has been proven to be prescient and true. Yep. Viewing it today would actually be more, be more uncomfortable than viewing it in the lens of the early 2000s. Absolutely, yeah. Because, I mean, early 2000s was kind of like the era where there were these comedies that were pushing the edge, trying to, be, trying to push the envelope, trying to be as offensive as possible while making larger points about why is this offensive? Why do you think it's offensive? What are, what are the issues really here? You know, like, yep. I think shows like South Park, as you mentioned, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, push the edge with that like, in terms of I guess white culture and white politics uh, and on the flip side of that in America in terms of black culture and black politics there was the boondocks mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, yeah absolutely absolutely so I highly recommend um, mm-hmm. just because like it 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 means something very different in our time right mm-hmm. and it is still equally good uh, if not <laughs> even better than I, I think it, it was, once was definitely you know um 
if you if you went on to where um Aaron Magruder only ran the Boondocks for three seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, prior to season four, he fell out with uh, Adult Swim and Cartoon Network about money. Um, about basically you know his uh. But but budget budgetary issues, uh, shall we say, you know, yeah. uh, and also Adult Swim had issues with the way uh, Aaron Magruder was you know handling certain things, you know, like conflicts with uh, sister companies like DET and things like that, you know. Yeah. So there was a lot of uh, butting of heads about controversy. Uh, so Aaron Magruder left the show uh, in 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 very bad terms, uh, in 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 auspicious terms. Um, it, much like the way that Chappelle left uh, the Chappelle show, you know, like no mm-hmm. amount of money could could bring him back if he wasn't allowed to. Uh, cultivate his his uh, creative uh, freedoms, his creative direction, which is why season four of the show, if if you do watch it, is it's not recommended. Season four of the show yeah. feels like a very um, lazy caricature, a caricature of a caricature. Like. it was, mm-hmm. it's, it is, it it it, it is the Boondocks. It has the same voice. It kind of talks about black culture, but it just doesn't have the same satirical precision that Aaron Magruder has. So yeah. It, if you were to watch the Boondocks, I would recommend that you only watch the first three seasons and skip the fourth season, which Aaron Magruder was not involved in at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who was it that took over? I was reading about it. Angela Whistle, right? Mm. Yeah. Um, uh, season four. Yeah, it's not. Uh, it is. It, it's very interesting, right? Um, that while we're talking about it, that the Boondocks was actually done in widescreen. Yeah. Right, uh, for for all of the episodes, and then it was later cropped to the four to four to three aspect ratio, and yet another way in which like it was like present, it, it was before its time, before mm-hmm. widescreen adoption was just like more commonplace. Uh, so mm-hmm. you only get to that. I I don't know. It, it's just something about the four by three aspect ratio that makes me feel very old. Because mm-hmm. uh, once upon a time we used to consume that, but the whole of season three is in widescreen. Yep. Yeah. It, so. Indeed, like, it, it was just like due to how television shows were presented at the time, like everything was four by three. Yeah. Uh, that's why it was four by three. Like, but I, I guess if you bought, uh, the DVD copies of it, the, the un, unedited, uncut, uh, DVD copies of it, the Blu-rays, uh, it is presented in widescreen. So if you mm-hmm. have money, maybe plumb down for that one. You know. Uh, also HBO Max is in the process uh, of re rebooting uh the Boondocks for a modern adaptation. Interesting. Uh, Aaron Magruder is back. Uh, he's the one who actually pitched the show to HBO Max. Mm. Uh, they signed on. It was supposed to premiere late this year, around this time. Uh, unfortunately, of course, as with all other productions, COVID-19 uh. has stalled it for a bit. Uh, so it's been postponed to 2021, you know. But yeah. I think the Boondocks in in the in this era uh, would be would be very interesting to watch. Yeah. Uh, do you feel like it will be a very different show? Not necessarily. I mean, it it has always been provocative and sharp, and I don't see any any reason why it would cease to be. Uh, mm-hmm. just because they have more topics to talk about, you know, like yeah. like what what would Huey have to say about um ICE uh, detaining children at the border? How yeah. would Riley react to uh Twenty One Savage being a British citizen? <laughs> things like that. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, it's so it is it meant to be a a remake or a sequel or like. Uh, it's not a, it's not a sequel. Uh, they they kind of have a, a Simpsons s policy where you know they don't age, they don't grow. Right. Just the world around them changes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That should be that that should be pretty interesting. Uh, hopefully that comes out soon. Yeah. Uh, definitely. Like I I can't wait to see what they would do with you know Megan T Stallion. Uh, things like that, or what what they would do with Takeshi Six Nine. Uh, uh, being a snitch, or what they could do with Colin Kaepernick. Uh, or what they could do with Jesse Smollett. Oh my God, Jesse Smollett. That episode <laughs> yeah. is gonna be fire, man. So 
So yes, we're definitely looking forward to the HBO Max reboot of The Boondocks. And if you haven't, please go check out uh, Adult Swim's uh, The Boondocks, the original Boondocks, uh, now available on Blu-ray, DVD, as well on Adult Swim's streaming service. Uh, what, as we mentioned, go only watch the first three seasons. The fourth season isn't worth your time. Uh, I think you would definitely love it if you love shows like It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia mm-hmm. or South Park. Uh, but, you know... Be warned, uh, like you may you may be offended, and I think you should be offended mm-hmm. in certain cases. Uh, but I think you know that's that's the beauty of the show, uh, the the, the provocative nature of the show, but also the intellectual nature of the show, where it's not just you know shouting and cursing and being provocative for the sake of being provocative. There's a point to all of it, yeah. Uh, and, and that's where the boondocks excels. Uh. Um. Anyways, let's move on to the second part of our podcast where we exchange recommendations. First up, I'm gonna be talking about. One of my favorite crime dramas of 2019, uh, Unbelievable. It is an eight-part Netflix miniseries. Um, it's a remarkable study of how uh, sexual assault uh, investigations uh, should be conducted and how they shouldn't be conducted. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, for one thing, you know, Unbelievable is actually based on a true story. Uh, it is uh, it was based on a story that was reported in 2015 by ProPublica and the Marshall Project. Um, it, it kind of folds two narratives uh, from these uh, two separate uh, articles that kind of focus on the same case mm-hmm. uh, in eight episodes. Uh. Um, one kind of might feel bleakly familiar and, and kind of dumbfoundingly and, and raging at the same time. Uh, it's about what happens when people investigating a rape do almost everything wrong. Yeah. Um, not, not the procedural elements, although they, they mess those up too. The human elements, you know, the part where uh, a detective questions an 18-year-old woman who's just uh, survived the worst experience of her life, you know, um, a woman he's supposed to help and he fails her. In fact, more than failing her, he re-victimizes her, uh, making her go over the story of her attack again and again, you know. Then you have a, a nurse who pokes and prods at her without asking whether she needs to take a break, a foster mother who raises suspicions that mm-hmm. she's lying, um, no one pays attention to the woman's uh, emotional state or how it might be limiting her ability to uh, efficiently convey what happened to her. Yeah. <clears throat> but then also the other story, the one that you you rarely hear about, the one that's all the more poignant for how strange it seems. Same thing, a woman is raped, but this time, a different detective, a female detective uh, investigating the case does everything right. Mm-hmm. Um, she takes the woman to a private space after making sure she's comfortable. Uh, she tells her over and over again that uh, whatever the woman is feeling uh, or feels like doing or saying in that moment is absolutely okay. Uh, the detective is gentle. She's professional. She reassures the woman uh, that the nurses about to, examining, about, about to examine her are well-trained and sensitive. Yeah. Uh, she helps the officers uh, preserve valuable evidence, you know, quietly, ruthlessly. Um, unbelievable kind of probes the discrepancies between the two ways uh, rape victims are treated. Uh, in, the series asks you to imagine what if every person who's been assaulted were treated this way? You know, here comes the help that you really need. You know, here comes the belief that you really need. Um, and the thing that makes it all the sadder is that the main character at the center of the show, played by Caitlin Dever, uh, who you might recognize from Booksmart, which we reviewed earlier uh, this year. Mm-hmm. Um, fantastic performance, by the way, one of the best performances for last year. Uh, incredible. As, as, are the, as are Tony Collette and Merit Weaver, who played the two detectives uh, investigating her case um, and several related ca- cases. Um, it is 
it's so sad because the character Marie is based on a true story. Obviously, the real person's name is not Marie. Uh, it has been hidden uh, for confidentiality purposes, mm-hmm. uh, for obvious reasons, of course. But Marie's story is true. Um, and, and that's what makes it all the more uh, sad, frightening, uh, infuriating, uh, and all of those. Uh, and, and unbelievable really takes a, a sensitive and humane approach to to the rape narrative, which yep. has kind of been overused recently, sometimes for titillation, sometimes just to spark anger, sometimes as a plot device. Uh, most of the times you focus on the detectives on law and order trying to figure it out, or you focus on you know so many true crime documentaries or docudramas focus on the perpetrator, mm-hmm. the heinous serial killer, the heinous serial rapist. Why do they do the things they do? What's well, you know, uh, let's uncover the darkness behind them. But so rarely and so uh, infrequently, mm-hmm. you focus on the victim. How does the victim cope? What does the victim feel? How do they do? And even past the initial trauma of the, the assault, how can the victim continue to live their lives? Uh, and in this rare instance, you know, two female detectives yep. who have a different, more empathetic approach to the victims are able to do a better job than the male detectives who are probably ill-equipped emotionally to understand Mm -hmm. uh, where the victim is coming from. And I think these are the aspects that make Unbelievable uh, a a special show on Netflix. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that um, the the victim stories take center stage and in in addition to that, that women take the forefront in in the investigation, in the support, in the, the help provided um to the victims like it's an incredibly important thing to see you know mm. uh when 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 you're portraying a topic like this right like when you're yep. examining a topic like this uh, just all in all like it it's not an easy watch i think especially the first couple of episodes are tough to watch mm-hmm. uh especially um but it, even as they go about sorry but the difficult things uh, and it's meant to be difficult. It's meant to be uncomfortable. It's meant to, you know, elicit those kind of feelings, right? Because you need, you know, to to empathize and 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 feel what the victims have gone through as well. Yeah. Uh. That. But the on top of that, just like some amazing portrayal of really solid detective and police work. Mm-hmm. Um. That is like incredibly detailed and incredibly compelling, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. you feel their frustrations. I think Tony Collette and and uh oh no. Marit Weaver. Yeah, Marit Weaver do an amazing job just kind of like bouncing off of each other. I, I think their personalities really stick out and um they they clash they, both of them have such strong personalities. Mm-hmm. Uh and they are both very passionate about what they do, but their approaches clash sometimes. And I think it's very important the way in which they resolve those things, right? Like they come from two very different kind of approaches, two very different kind of worldviews, uh, but they are united by a common goal. And the way they go about um, negotiating the spaces that they're in and just kind of like the the roles that they're playing uh, it yeah. is incredibly, it, it makes for incredibly compelling TV, mm-hmm. right? Without the need to have a lot of the sometimes for crying stuff, right? There's a lot of sensationalism, there's a kind of blow up, there's a lot of like posturing and aggressiveness and all of that. Like traditionally, those are the things that you see. But like, 
I think Unbelievable just proves that you don't need all those things to make an equally compelling drama. Right, right. Um, in an era where police dramas are under scrutiny for for uh perpetrating police propaganda, uh, yep. you know your your law and orders and the crime procedurals of all that nature, especially in the wave of uh Me Too and Black Lives Matter, um, two particularly uh two particular minorities in America that uh, perhaps don't get the protection from the police that they should. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it kind of uh this is one of those shows. Uh, that is both uh, very honest about the deficiencies of the American justice system, uh, and also very honest about uh, the ways that it can work. Also, like, you know, um, particularly with the the detectives assigned to this case, this is how do you you do it right? You know, and and some of the feeling of investment that you get uh, of these, uh, I I'm gonna call them characters, although I know they're real people. Yeah. You know, some of the fe- feeling I get is due to the incredible performances, uh, which are grounded and and lived in across the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Weaver and Colette, uh, in particular, uh, create uh, fully authentic women uh, who ooze integrity and yeah. have uh, also enough insecurities and make enough mistakes to seem like actual human beings instead of the the stock uh, good cops that you see in in, in TV shows. Yeah. Um, Dever, uh, Caitlin Dever, also does beautiful work as the as the damaged, uh, vulnerable Marie. Uh, honestly, I could watch all three of them act. Uh, Every day, uh, all day, uh, today, tomorrow, Sunday, whatever you know, um, and it's it's it has great writing, yeah, great directing. Um, it has it, it doesn't it, it's humanist and and low key feminist. Yes. And it doesn't and it isn't flashy. You mm-hmm, know, there is mm-hmm. no like uh, flashiness that that say like uh, shows that true detective have. You know, a stylistic flourish. Yeah, uh, part of it is to not allow you to escape. Uh, into fantasy or into style, mm-hmm. uh, and and that kind of grounded style works, like, You know, um, and unbelievable is also brimming with, as you mentioned, a strong sense of detail. You know, but not the type we are accustomed to in, yeah. in seeing. You know, in in typical prime time procedurals, yeah. um, where there are flashbacks to to the rapes, you know, and, and vivid descriptions of what happened to each woman. The series doesn't get gratuitous. No. Uh, and instead, it, it, in fact, most of it is close up on on the victims' faces. Uh, and it allows the women the, the same respect that the that Tony Collette and Mary Weaver's characters do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's much more interested in the minutiae involved in serious detective work. Mm-hmm. You know? Like like the late nights uh, spent sifting through hours of uh, traffic camera footage or, or the flicker uh, of fear in uh, Marie's eyes, uh, exceptionally performed by Caitlin Dever, mm-hmm. uh, that, that the detectives are interrogating her are, are too oblivious to see. You know, at the initial detectives, the male detectives. Yeah. Um, uh, Unbelievable is a superb example of of what uh, show don't tell storytelling mm. works like. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's amazing and and just the 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 basic premise of the show where you have this girl who's raped at knife point. Everybody doesn't believe her, hence the title Unbelievable. Um, really exemplifies why more victims, uh, male and female, do not come forward to the police because. Uh, the interrogation techniques, the lack of empathy in that, yep. uh, leads them to be re-victimized through the investigation, mm. uh, and and that's like the wrong way to invest to to investigate these particular crimes. Yeah. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying that like all rape victims. Uh, um, I'm not saying that all people who come forward with uh, accusing crimes uh, are telling the truth, but you have to give them the benefit of the doubt in the first place, mm-hmm. and then you know. Follow the evidence where it goes. Yeah, yeah. Um. And 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 I can. I think this is what the unbelievable is is so good and uh, at making you understand. Yeah, yeah. There is a very like to the point that you just mentioned. There is a very um the scene that stands out where, 
uh, Marie talks exactly about that, right? About the justice system and and uh, about truth being inconvenient. Um, that like kind of hits home the entire point kind of near the end of the series. Um, but yeah, absolutely agree with you with everything that that you've uh, said so far. Yeah, yeah, you know, like uh, Marie's lawyer is one that says uh, nobody ever accuses of a rob- nobody ever accuses a robbery victim of lying. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. You know, yeah, I, I'm like I mentioned earlier, like there are cases like Jesse's Mole, for example, you know, mm-hmm. but you, in, in the beginning, we had to give him the benefit of the doubt. Lah, mm-hmm. And then you investigated it. You know? um, but with sexual assault, sometimes the skepticism that the accusers are, are telling the are not telling the truth. Uh, it's kind of hardwired into the into the system mm-hmm. uh, and it shouldn't be. Lah, and, and this should be part of criminal justice reform. I mean, unfortunately, uh, this isn't just the case in America. It's in the it's this way all, all around the world. Yeah. Uh, they tend to be disbelieved, um, and it's it's a bit of a societal thing rather than a, a systemic thing. Cause, I mean, the system comes from society's yeah. prejudices, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's something that's very difficult to fix at a root level. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and part of the way of think of changing your mindset is by watching shows like this. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. for sure. For sure, yeah. like there, there is known. Our our criminal justice system can afford to be more human. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, that's what um you know my takeaway is from from watching Unbelievable. Definitely, I mean, definitely agree. Like, oh, the this was Tony Collette's like I think third or fourth, uh, <laughs> fucking fantastic performance in a row. Oh, like she from... can't do anything wrong right now. Like she's killing it. Um, she called it in Hereditary, mm-hmm. uh, then followed it up with this. Uh, a lot of great performances along the way. I mean, most recently she was in uh, Charlie Kaufman's uh, latest film, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, also on Netflix, actually, mm-hmm. where, again, she delivers a great performance. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's a bit of a Tony Colletta-sons. Uh, <laughs> Renaissance implies that she ever had a dip, which she uh, never had. Yeah, yeah. I don't think... It is definitely like... It's just, it's just like a a whole slew of great stuff that she's doing right now, you know, or mm-hmm. at least in, in the last, like, two years or so. Yeah, I think she's just getting more attention for something she's always done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, similar with Regina King uh, at the moment, you know, like, you be, it's it's a 20-year overnight success. Uh, yeah, you know? yeah. You know, you've been doing great work for 20 years, but, you know, just last night, people started noticing, so you can't really call them overnight successes or renaissance. They've always been doing this. Uh, and Tony Collette is great. Merit Weaver is great. Kaylin Dever, maybe you can call her an overnight success because she's new. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, like, I would definitely be interested to see what else she, she'll be doing in the future for sure. Like, her performance is, is breathtaking. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, a hundred percent agreement. Uh, Netflix. Uh, it's it's available on Netflix right now. Uh, eight episodes. Tough watch. Yeah. Uh, difficult, challenging. Uh, it 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 hurts watching it. It infuriates you watching it as it should. Uh, you know, in the same way that you should be provoked by the boondocks into questioning your beliefs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so does unbelievable. You know, unbelievable should provoke you into thinking how you react and how you should empathize with uh, sexual assault victims like, and maybe in a different way, maybe a, be a bit more empathetic, maybe, you know, be a bit more believing. Uh, yeah, I mean, fantastic show, you know. Uh, any any concluding thoughts before we move on? No, I think that's that's about the sum of it, really. Definitely, man. Uh, next up, we have uh, Spice and Wolf. Uh, this is an anime that aired in the mid-2000s, I want to say. Uh, or late 2000s, late 2000s. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um yeah, give us a, a little synopsis before before we jump into this. 
Right. Okay. So Spice and Wolf. We basically follow. Um, I always get this wrong. Craft Lawrence. I always think Lawrence Craft. Craft yeah. with a K, like the cheese. Yeah. Right. Uh, who who is um he's a merchant. He's like a twenty something old merchant who who goes around peddling goods from town to town, much like they did uh back in a very kind of like fantastical uh, well not fantastical fantasy based uh fictional world um a, a very historical like setting with European influences right so thinking like medieval Europe is the best kind of way that I'm gonna phrase, uh, phrase it so his goal. His his main purpose in life, right, is to gather enough money to start his own shop as a merchant. Like that's kind of his dream. And at the point in time when we meet him, he's been traveling for a good number of years, uh, while getting experience in 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 trading and so on and so forth. Uh, and then one fine night, he stops at a town and he finds in his wagon after a day of business a wolf god. Does mm-hmm. a wolf goddess? Yeah, a wolf goddess called Hollow, who is like more than more than like what six centuries, six hundred. She's six hundred years old, right? Yeah. Uh, except that she takes the form of a fifteen-year-old girl um, with wolf's uh, tail and ears, as anime does, right? Um, she turns out to be the town's goddess of harvest, and he has uh, kept it blessed and bountiful for many, many years, but her. Um, her role, right, and and just how like the human society has evolved, has resulted in increasing isolation and disillusionment, um, because the townspeople themselves have moved away from her her protection and her graces as the the goddess of plenty, um, towards their own methods of increasing their crop yield, right. So she's she's heard that they're forgetting her and and the kind of like you know, promises that are made between uh, uh, the farmers and herself, right, in times past. Um, and uh, because of these changes, she's basically uh, decided, you know what, I'm done with these people. I'm just going to up and leave. And Craft uh, is going to be the one who's going to bring her back to her homeland yeah. um, somewhere in the north, right? Uh, and uh, since her people have forsaken her, she you know the deal's done and that she's gonna go so that begins the journey of our two kind of protagonists of the story uh and um they go on to discover how the world has changed uh hollow has been stuck in the same place for a really long time and and they begin a very beautiful if somewhat complex relationship with each other um and uh while they go through all their kind of adventures and and as the story kind of goes along we end up learning uh economics 101 as uh, his will tell you shortly. <laughs> oh, definitely, man. Um, like, what do you think? What, what? I, I never supposed, you know, when I was watching an anime that you get, you know, a mix of medieval economics, uh, sprinkle in some character drama, uh, add a lot of snark and 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 throw in some fantasy elements about wolf gods and 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 then you get, you know, something like like Spice and Wolf, one of the <laughs> most unique enemies I've, I've ever seen. And and for those who, those of you who are still listening after I, after we repeatedly mentioned the word economics, economics yeah. Stay tuned. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think perhaps the most unique thing about uh, Spice and Wolf is the overall uh, focus on, on the series. Yeah. Like, some anime will focus largely on action and fight scenes, others on suspense and drama, uh, others on like less substantial things like um, no, no, I wouldn't say I would say substantial, but you know, less dramatic things like you know, fan service or, or love stories, and and Spice and Wolf throws a, a huge curveball uh, by spending a lot of time 
on the business of uh, economics and commerce. Mm -hmm. uh, this makes the series a bit obtuse at times, uh, esoteric, uh, and, and the exposition and explanations of medieval economics is, is usually very well presented. Mm -hmm. It can be a bit difficult to understand or comprehend if you never took uh, an interest in economics or never paid attention in economics class, uh, which is me. Yeah. Um, I, I am... I am a lot of times when the characters uh, and a lot of the plotting here revolves around economic strategy. Yeah. Um, how do you outwit other merchants, etc. And it's all it all it all down it comes down to economics one one. Now, what are the different economic principles that you can use as leverage against one another? Things like that, um, which led me to to viewing Spice and Wolf. Uh, very differently than how I'd say what I watch Demon Slayer. Like, for example, <laughs> like one of our first episodes, I, I reviewed Demon Slayer, which was a recommendation by Isa. Yep. That one, it was just like straight uh, 10 hours, done with it, you know, uh, finished straight away, like binge, bam, done, you know, easy to understand, yeah. exciting. With this one, I approached it in a very, in like how my teachers approach, uh, let's say, the first time in Sec 1 when I was reading The Merchant of Venice, for example, right? Mm -hmm. or, or whatever book you read, like in secondary school or in, in, or in JC, you know, your teacher will like read one paragraph and then you don't understand, right? And then you do some research into what the paragraphs mean, you know, yeah. or oh, what does this turn of phrase mean, etc. So with every economic principle brought up, in order to fully understand what the plan is, you know, it's a bit like, you know, it's a bit like a heist yeah. uh, kind of thing, you know, there are different machinations going on here and there. And I want to understand the various machinations. So I paused maybe every five to 10 minutes, every, every half an episode, like, basically, yeah. to go on Wikipedia, read up on these principles to really, really kind of get what's going on. Um, and that is not a complaint at all. Like, I actually found that to be very invigorating and very intellectually stimulating. It's a very different way for me to watch to watch a show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, okay. So, for the people who are still listening, right? Because yeah. we're, we're, assuming, we're assuming people that they heard economics and just like, what is going on? Why am I... What? what? Um, but, yeah, for the people who are still listening, like... As much as 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 Hits and I are going on about just kind of like the, the amount of detail that they go into the way things work, right? In in medieval economics, um, which as obscure and esoteric it is, like it doesn't take away from the fact that by and large, Spice and Wolf is an amazing story, uh, between two very very different individuals, right? Like with mm -hmm, two yeah. very different worldviews. You have a, a basically a, a demigod, uh, who's trying to understand. A bit more about the world in which the human world in which she inhabits, and you find a, a and her relationship with her man, who is both her caretaker and her guardian, uh, and her patron at the same time, who's trying to make his way in the world, right? And all of the things that happen and the the different machinations, machinations and and strategies that go about with business and trading and and uh mercantileness of the whole mercantileness of it doesn't take away from the fact that there are these great points of action and drama and love and, and romance mm -hmm. uh and uh it's all interwoven into that you know and it's very hard to kind of divorce the two like they happen uh very naturally uh it's not all, sometimes it does but it's not always like you go into like this large um lengthy kind of like oh, explanation um explication of like you know this particular mechanic or this particular you know um, law of supply and demand how that affects everything uh 
yeah, it is still, after all, a very great and a very heartwarming and a little tragic of a story, mm-hmm. um, you know, set in the midst of all of this, right? And it yeah. is incredibly enjoyable because it manages to do that, you know, and it's not just an economics lecture in anime form. You know, like, to your point, uh, when the characters are not spouting economic exposition, yeah. um, it is some of the best written banter uh, that I've seen in anime. Mm-hmm. Um, the two characters have a very unique, nuanced chemistry. They are both, you know, kind of laid back enough to take out, you know, uh, to take and, and dish out uh, teasing. Mm-hmm. They are sarcastic, mm-hmm. friendly insults, uh, snarky, um, and, and they each have a sort of depth to them that I was not, uh, I, I was not, initially expecting mm-hmm. yeah you know absolutely. lawrence his personality his slight <laughs> uneasiness and awkwardness about traveling with a deity and and kind of hollows um subtle fear of loneliness and rejection yeah yeah Re- really really good work and really really uh witty and sarcastic banter well-written dialogue and characterizations frequently broken up by economic exposition also which i also found fascinating like some people might not yeah yeah for sure it's not for everybody but like come for the story right come for the story you know stay stay for the character development and learn some economics on the way right like that's just kind of my my stance on twice and wolf I've said a lot of times on various anime reviews that my biggest gripe with anime in general, right? Like, not a particular genre of anime, but with anime, yep. is that my biggest problem is the over-explanation of certain things. Uh-huh. You know, like, whenever there's a twist in, in, let's say, a shonen, and then the villain or the hero, where he explains, like, oh, how did I do this counter? <laughs> and that takes up, like, three quarters of the episode, you know, that fucking monologue about, oh, I, you thought I was going to do this, but I actually did that. Like, for the first time ever, I actually appreciated it in this show. Yeah. The, the over-explanation, because I needed it. <laughs> like, like, always, I'm like, don't talk to me like I'm a child. And then yeah. this one, it's like, yes, I'm a child. I don't understand. Yeah. Please talk to yeah. me like I'm a child. <laughs> yeah. I, I think for yeah. me, there's one particular episode that just kind of turned me on to how brilliant this is. And it's the whole, the literal supply and demand lesson, right? Like, the market, right, the right. one in the market with the auction and everything. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, that blew my mind because I've never seen it done so concisely and so simply, right? Like, all the hours of my economics, like, lecturer telling me about, okay, like, this is why this exists and this is how, like, to see an actual practical uh, illustration of how those things work in real, in, in a real setting, uh, as far as the anime can be, uh, as real as the anime can be, right? Was just a f- fascinating to watch. I mean, like, some of the twists and turns and kind of the reviews about the, you know, the different kind of like deceptions that need to go on and all of that. Like there are portions that, that uh, like I think the guilt arc especially for me was kind of where it fell off a bit. Right. Uh, but I, I pulled through that uh, despite the fact that I felt it was overcomplicated um, <laughs> because at that point you are so invested in Kraft and Hollow's relationship that you need to know what's going to happen to them, Right. Yep. Uh, and the thing is, is that there was a pretty large gap between season one and season two of Spice mm-hmm. and Wolf, right? Uh, and I only watched season two of Spice and Wolf a couple of years ago when one of my colleagues was telling, hey, you watch Spice and Wolf or not? Do you know there's a second season? I said, no, I didn't know there was a second season. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and so that that kind of like tied it up for me where, where because I was so, I was a little upset that I kind of got to the point whereby, you know what? It's over complex. I can close one eye to it just because like, I'm really invested to see what happens to Craft and Hollow, yep. right? And then the season ended. Mm. And you don't get a completion to the story. So I was very happy to discover um, season two, uh, which does wrap it up um, to the largest degree possible. 
Yeah. Uh, and um, yeah, like overall, still like this ranks very, very highly on one of my favorite animes of all time, just because of how different it is, and like the parts that it does well, it does really, really well. Right? It's not yeah. a perfect anime, and I don't think one actually exists. But like mm. for all that it's meant to do, it does very well. Oh yeah, um, ag- agreed, man. Like I, I, I like to categorize my animes into like different things, la. Like yeah. you know, what is my favorite? like fantasy anime and, and I think uh, Mushishi is, is, is that that's it like, <laughs> yeah, like well. what, what is my favorite sports anime it's it's Haikyuu and Yuri on Ice you know yep. and things like that you know uh being uh, of uh be I think this is by default it's my favorite anime about economics <laughs> <laughs> okay so so as a kind of tangent to that I, I kind of realized yeah. I've been re-watching uh so in in line with this, right? Uh, while Hits and I were just kind of talking about um, Spice and Wolf off air, there is another anime that's also on Netflix right now that has a similar yep. vibe to it. So yeah, it's called Maoyu, like, yeah. um, and uh, that isn't so much about medieval economics as it is more specifically about medieval agriculture, mm-hmm. and it has a very similar vibe to Spice and Wolf. I do, I don't think the story is as is as tender and as 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 heartwarming as that, right? That one has a bit more fan service. It's a bit more ridiculous on the story side of things, uh, but man, that is that is like it's very very similar. So I I don't know. Whenever you have time and you do happen to check that out, I would be very curious to hear if you would consider it an economic anime, okay. just because yeah. you know I mean there, there's space for more than one lah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but all in all. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. That's okay. So, what is the most interesting thing you have learned from watching Spice and Wolf, economics-wise, or just like business savvy-wise? I think the most interesting thing I learned was that I was not as uninterested in economics and business as I was in school. Mm. And it makes me very sad because I actually, in poly, I took this thing called... I, I didn't take mass comm in poly. I took business engineering. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I focused more on the engineering side mm-hmm. because it was easier for me to understand uh, mechanically. La. And I, I kind of just dozed off during the business side of things. Yep. The economics, you know, the things about supply and demand, etc., etc., etc. And what was interesting to me is that when I was watching this, it brought back that I actually did through osmosis maybe <laughs> in a lot of the concepts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I kind of wish that I just paid attention a bit more and I could have actually like done well. Uh, and I wish that they had showed this anime instead of just some <laughs> PowerPoint lecture. That was yeah. to so, this. so if there, I, I think the chances are pretty slim, but if there's mm. any economics teachers slash professors slash lecturers who happen to be listening to us for whatever reason at this point yeah. in time in the podcast, please show your students Spice and Wolf. Uh, yeah. I think it will be a fantastic way to introduce them to some of the concepts and, and, and then have a you know, a good story while they're at it. Nah, definitely, man. Um, it's this uh, Spice and Wolf is available on Netflix. Um, as a nice curious segue, um, I was actually thinking while watching this, like, yep. we are currently for something I can't announce yet. Kind of, kind of, uh, revamping uh this cat, not not revamping lah, like rebooting uh... a bit uh of our formatting Ooh, yeah. and uh tweaking our formatting a bit for behold. Uh, from now on, uh, episodes are gonna be more themed, uh, similar to our National Day episode. You know, like you know yeah. when we did our best Singaporean fiction and and things like that. So um, our future episodes are gonna be themed around genre or or particular type of fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wish I kind of had saved Spice and Wolf for like an economics episode. You know, that would be like, fascinating. Okay. You know, like 
for example, like if you had seen the big short, uh, mm -hmm. the big short, you know, basically you are explaining how the economic, uh, the recession happened in America. You know, yep. like all those scenes in the top where basically characters are just <laughs> telling you, like yeah. explaining to you economic principles, you know, things like that. It, 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 this reminded me of the big short actually a lot. Mm -hmm. and, and other economic documentaries I've seen. So I kind of wish I had saved this a bit for an economics episode. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you know, again, hindsight is... Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say 2020, but, you know, never mind. <laughs> uh, but, man, I, I, definitely, I definitely recommend it. Um, yeah. yeah. Yes, there are, like, some lulls in the narrative, as, as you pointed out to me uh, off, off, off air. Um, I think the end of season one... Uh, it slows down a bit. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's my fault that I didn't notice because uh, pacing require for you to notice pacing is for you to you have to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, front to back la, without stopping, you know. Mm -hmm. And and I stopped a lot la, so I did not notice pacing issues yeah. at all. It it could be it also could be like the whole guilt out and, and the law that I'm talking about had to do a lot with credit, right? Mm. Like go into the idea of credit and all of that, and like I understood why they had to go into such detail because like the hook of the entire scheme lied in explaining how it works, right? And where the, yep. the pitfalls of them are. It was just a bit too much, you know. Um, and and again, a not not a perfect anime by any by any measure, right? But extremely enjoyable in its own really unique way. And quite unlike any other anime that I've ever watched, you know, and I think like that is is more than enough merit for it to be recommended for people who enjoy it. Definitely. Um the the thing about most of my friends who are who are anime fans, um, I am frequently recommended uh, the popular enemies that the popular enemies tend to be shonen. Uh, mm. I mean, I, I have nothing in particular against Shonen. I'm just really sick of of it. Yeah. And, and and the real value that I found in this Behold podcast is your recommendations of animes that are not Shonen. Uh, your recommendations of Mushishi, for example, and this one, and and your lie in April. Different types of animes with different types of flavors have really opened my eyes to to uh, to the fact that the the genre is not monolithic. Mm -hmm. there, you know, there's a lot of different kinds of enemies. If I if you're if you like me are sick of shonen, there are many yeah. other types of enemies yeah. to watch. Yeah, there's there's a ton of stuff. Like uh, we have, we so often forget that anime is a medium, right? Yeah. As much as not a genre. Yeah, yeah, it's not a genre. It is a medium, and there's just so many like such a wide variety of things that you could possibly tackle with that. You know, we always joke about how, like, if you can think about, you can think of the most ridiculous situation or the most, like, niche topic, chances are there's an anime about it, right? Mm -hmm. And, like, it's just part of the reason I just enjoy anime because, like, people are free to explore some of these most, some of the most, like, nerdy and obscure and niche and esoteric ideas, right? And put them in a way that is digestible and available to just a lot of people, you know, and, uh, to appeal to them or to not appeal to them. Right. It, it, it it's similar to how like a lot I think a lot of cinephiles uh tend to denigrate television storytelling because the popular forms of television storytelling is like you know like Chicago Mad and Grey's mm -hmm. Anatomy and things like that. Yeah. Like you know and like like you said like, like TV is not a genre. TV is a medium. Mm -hmm. like, and there are different kinds of storytelling available on TV as they are on anime as, as well. Like. And, yep. and I'm I'm glad that I've been exposed to like a, a larger variety of it like, because I I tend to get my anime record. I'm I don't follow like the websites and stuff, so I yeah. tend to get anime recommendations from fans, and it's always you know the same thing. Oh, have you seen um. Uh, Hunter Hunter, uh, have you seen Demon Slayer? And, and 
all that. Uh, those are really, really good, right? We're not, we're not, yeah. Yeah, not denigrating it at all. Uh. Like, for me, like, when I watch Shonen right now, it has to be top-notch. It has to be yeah. my hero academia level, hunter-hunter level, or demon slayer level. If not, like, it's not, I'm just done with it. Yeah, it's not worth your time. Yeah, it is so saturated. Like, those particular genres within anime are so saturated that to be on top, it's really, really difficult, you know? Yeah. Uh, and at the same time, like, a lot of, a lot of these, like, precious, like, hidden gems are, are, are hard to find, right? Because they don't get as much money, they don't get as much like advertisement and all that. But every once in a while, like they kind of pop up, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm just hoping for the kind of the next kind of hidden gem to to uh, come my way. Yeah. Uh, just yeah. actually, just earlier today, uh, I had a friend ask me to recommend like happy, light-hearted anime, which okay. are not as common as you would like to think. And you know, maybe mm-hmm. like one day we'll go to that list. And, yeah. and see what I can recommend from there. Um, yeah, I'm I'm super happy, man. That you you mm-hmm. I I took I felt like it was a bit of a risk recommending this, but I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm I'm glad you found it educational. Um, and hopefully, uh, yeah, in future anime recommendations in particular, maybe I'll I'll, I'll pick some risky stuff. Maybe we can mm-hmm. finally do Steinsgate. <laughs> yeah, uh, for for uh, a time traveling like themed episode of Behold. I'll- Yes, yeah, like, you know, yeah, that maybe you could do, like, things like Primer and, and oh, Dark, yeah. you know, like, yeah, super yeah. complex, but neat uh, time travel episodes, mm, you know. Mm, that would be super, yeah, I would be down with that. The the entire Legends of Tomorrow, uh, shall we say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I think we'll get, uh, like, for a lot of these, like, for Dark and for, for Steins Gate and for, like, Legends of Tomorrow, we'll end up, like, trying to you know, break down the nitty-gritty like tracking and things like that of how everything makes sense. So we'll see if we can make an interesting episode out of it. Definitely, <laughs> if we don't definitely. lose people by then. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, and if you're interested, uh, next week we'll be back with a new episode of Genre Equality. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be talking about the third installment of Bill and Ted Face the Music. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very charming film. Uh, we'll be talking about the new seasons of, of The Boys. Uh, Haikyuu is back on October 2nd. So yeah. look out for it. I'll be uh, exposing my my recent love for Haikyuu. I, I've been behind. I recently caught up. Loved it. Uh, we're talking about you know, new Mulan, the controversy surrounding it. Mm-hmm. Um, a new Ridley Scott series called raised by wolves mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of other fascinating topics um, and subsequently on behold we'll be talking about shows that have been sequelized or prequelized uh well then it, movies iconic films yeah that iconic have been films sequelized or, or prequelized many years later in, in in this instance decades later yep. in television shows how some of them do it right uh like fargo how some of them do it wrong like Ratchet, uh, <laughs> and how some of them improbably improves upon the source material in the case of Cobra Kai and the Karate Kid. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that's our next topic. I'm I'm actually really excited. I'm a big big fan of Cobra Kai. Yeah. Uh, yep. I was I was a big fan of you know Karate Kid as well. It's it's one of those things <laughs> I watch Kid a lot. Uh. One flew over the cuckoo's nest is uh. Seminal. Iconic, yeah. Seminal, iconic Jack Nicholson film, mm-hmm. and of course Fargo. You know the Coen Brothers has. They've gone on to do many other things besides Fargo, but Fargo is like their, their, their signature film, lah. You know? Yeah. Uh, and I would like to talk about how Noah Hawley has, has continues to prove that he is, uh, a great storyteller. I mean, Legion season two aside, mm-hmm. uh, he he's he's doing Fargo great, like I think crime crime drama is his is his forte. Yep. And should stick to it. Um, Fargo season four actually debuts next week, uh, and I would highly recommend it. I gotten a chance to preview the first two episodes. Nice. Uh, Chris Rock stars as a mob boss, uh, and that's all I need to say. <laughs> I've never seen 
Chris Rock in any sort of dramatic role, and I'm excited for this because he's so serious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. This, okay. Is, this is Chris Rock's Uncut Gems. Oh, wow. Wow. All right. All right. We, we have to see what that's about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, till next time, this has been Hit Zero. This is Isa. Uh, goodbye, guys. Ciao.